Good morning. Good to see you this morning. We're so glad that you're here on this wonderful day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. I invite you to stand and let's worship our great God this morning. can be seated. We have a lot going on this morning, the opportunity to be able to, to uh, worship God through communion and, and through the study of God's Word. Uh, 
we have a, a number of different things we're going to do this morning. First and foremost is we are going to have a child dedication this morning. And uh, I'm a little prejudiced because it's my granddaughter. <laughs> so you all get to get to participate in this. We do child dedications, not baby baptisms. And I want to make it very clear of what they're about. And, and within that, the whole reason behind that is you're baptized when you can publicly declare that you've accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and you follow in baptism. My granddaughter, Hallie, is only about two and a half weeks old, so there's only one thing that she says, feed me. But with that, there is a biblical precedence in, in being able to dedicate a child as unto the Lord, and we find it in 1 Samuel, and it's the account of, of Samuel and, and Hannah. Hannah wanted to have children and wasn't able to for a period of time, a long period of time. And the Lord had closed her womb for a reason, because there was not time yet for Samuel to be born. And she was very upset with that. In fact, in 1 Samuel 9, it says, And Hannah arose after eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the temple of the Lord, and she was greatly distressed, praying, to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a son, then I will give him to you, give him to the Lord all the days of his life and a razor shall never come upon his head. Now later, after Samuel is born within that, in verse 21, it says, Then the man Elkanah went up to the household to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice, pay his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, I will not go up until the child is weaned, and then I will bring him that he may appear before the Lord and stay there forever. Now, that is a, a significant dedication as unto the Lord. And the whole concept is that... When we're blessed with a child by the Lord, that we can offer our children back unto the Lord to be used for service, to be able to use according to God's will and to raise them up according to the ways of the Lord. And so with that, a child dedication really is the dedication of the parents dedicating the child to the service and the work of the Lord to raise that child accordingly. But in the congregation, in the fellowship of the body, it's something that the whole body participates in. So within that, a special thing today is because we have the, the kids here, because Miss Shelby oversees the children's ministry. And so they wanted to come up and they wanted to participate with that. So I'm going to ask that Chris and Shelby come up, bring Hallie, Hallie May, and we are going to pray over her. Don't drop the baby. Hey, boo-boo. Hi. See if I can get her turned around. And I know we don't baptize children, but she might baptize Grandpa. <laughs> we don't want to do that. I'm going to ask that you as a congregation would stand, and, and you all would pray with me as we pray over Hallie. Father, we thank you for this blessing. Such a sweetheart. Lord, we know that... Uh, You've given life and given presence 
But the most important present is this, that God, that in this, that she is a gift from you, that she is here to honor you. Lord, we dedicate her unto you and to your service. Lord, we pray for Chris and Shelby as they continue to raise her up according to your word and to your ways, Father, that all her days that she would grow and that she would be in that place of honoring you. Father, make her to be that child that you've set apart for purpose and give her that great purpose and that blessing. Father, we ask that, that she would become that godly woman that you've set her to be. We praise you and we thank you for this gift. In Jesus' name, amen. Good job. Not my first rodeo. You point her away from you. Stand there for a second. Okay, thank you. Let's go ahead and let's pray and, and ask the Lord's blessing as the ushers come forward for this morning's offering. Father, we thank you for the blessings that you've given to us. You are amazing and kind, and, and you bless us beyond measure. God, we know that, that everything that we have comes from you. And this giving is a response. It's an act of worship that, that we can participate in to say thank you. To say, yes, Lord, you've given us these things. Lord, I pray that you would use these resources for your glory that your kingdom would be established here in, in di different ministry aspects, whether it's here in South Columbia County or, or throughout the world, through our missionaries. In all these things, God, may we continue to honor you and to give you worship and praise. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah, I'm free. Hallelujah. 
through a series on spiritual um, resilience and the ability to be able to bounce back. This morning we're going to be taking a look at the life of Paul. A number of weeks ago I had a conversation with someone who asked, what do you think about me giving my testimony? And in, in talking with this individual, I thought, you know, that would be incredibly awesome, especially when we take a look at the life of Paul, Paul was living a life that he thought was really good. And it was religious, but he was a murderer and persecuting Christians. Not the life that God had for him. In fact, God wanted him to change. Change is always hard. And in fact, in order for real change to take place, you need the power of God to work in your life. So I'd like to uh, introduce to you 
Mark Osterbauer, who is going to come up and he's going to share his testimony um, of how God has changed his life and what God is doing in the transformation. So Mark, come on up. Let's give Mark a round of applause. Well, this is terrifying. <laughs> Howdy. Um, well, God says um, that his power is made perfect in weakness, so there should be plenty of God's power going on right now. Um, I'm not going to spend too much time talking about my past because the, school, the cool stuff happens once uh, Christ gets a hold of me. Um, I am, however, going to paint a picture of my broken former state as it is important to remember who and what we were to remind us of where we're going. Um, it's why the Jewish people still celebrate Passover 3,000 years later, to remind them um, how God saved them from slavery. So, that being said, after my story, a message of hope for those still trapped in the cycle of addiction. Deal? Okay. I was going to do it anyways. I just <laughs> wanted to make you feel empowered. Um, so, hello. My name is Mark. I'm a drug addict and alcoholic. Um, I got started in my career of debauchery at a fairly young age. I was on a search uh, for something to fill the hole that I felt inside. I didn't know what I was searching for, but I knew something was missing. Now, I'm the type of person that when I do something, I'm all in. Um, so when I tell you that when I discovered drugs, you can be assured that it encompassed every aspect of my life. I was in, <coughs> excuse me, intimately involved in the manufacture transportation, sale, and consumption of every narcotic known to man. Uh, I was transformed in a few short years into evil. Darkness filled me, and the worst part was, it came flowing out of me. It was infecting others, and I loved spreading it. I destroyed people. I destroyed families. I didn't care. Some of those people never made it out alive. Now, God had had enough of me causing his children to stumble. So, he pulled the rug out from underneath me, and I fell. I fell hard. <clears throat> I lost everything. I was a broken shell of a man. Now, that's when my dad found me. My earthly father, that is. He picked me up, dusted me off, got me a job, and helped me detox from the countless poisons inside me. I cleaned up and moved to the coast. I was running from my problems. And I was okay for a while. Uh, I got married, started having kids, but slowly, the darkness returned. An evil from my past, only different, stronger this time. Alcohol became the most important thing to me. It started out small, but eventually it overtook me. And evil once again flowed from me and was destroying my life, the life of my family, and it was affecting the people that surrounded me. Well, God had once again had enough of me causing his children to stumble. So, once again, he pulled the rug out from underneath me, and I fell. <clears throat> I was driven to the ER via ambulance on Christmas Day. Now, I won't tell you the percentage of alcohol that was in my system, but I can tell you that it was many, many times over the limit, more than enough to kill me. Now, I came to in the hospital alone. My wife had found out the reason for my little trip, and she left me there. All I had left was shame, Guilt, self-hatred. It's truly alone. So here we are. If I stayed true to my form, I would build myself up again, and the cycle of addiction would repeat. Something different happened this time. 
Um, my wife used to drag me to church, <laughs> before which I would take a couple of shots of whiskey so I can tolerate the boring sermons. Uh, it wasn't you, Pastor Kerry. Uh, I was at a different church then, so. <clears throat> Awkward. Okay. Uh, <laughs> um, but um, a man, one Sunday, uh, stood up and gave his testimony. And it was remarkably similar to my own, um, with one very important difference. His life had been transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit and his faithful attendance to recovery meetings. So after my little Christmas trip to the ER, my wife was led to give this man a call. He invited us to our first meeting. Now, I was going for two reasons. One, to get my wife off my back. Sorry. Uh, and two, maybe I would learn how to uh, drink less to be able to maintain. Um, so at the meeting, um, we would all go around the room giving our first name and the nature of our addiction, like my name is so-and-so, I'm an alcoholic, or I'm an addict. Um, when it got to my turn, it just came out of me. I wasn't intending on saying it. Um, my name is Mark, and I'm an alcoholic. Um, saying it out loud, this huge weight just came off of my shoulders. Um, now, these <coughs> recovery meetings were a very important step. But I was not done. <clears throat> Jesus tells a parable in Matthew chapter 12 about a house and unclean spirits. The unclean spirits get kicked out, and the house gets cleaned up, but it remains empty, and the unclean spirits come back stronger than before. Sound familiar? My house had been cleaned out before, but it stayed empty, and the evil returned. Now, the meetings I went to used Bible verses to go along with the, uh, the 12 steps, and my interest was piqued. Um... My wife had bought me a Bible at some point, and so I figured I would read it cover to cover and see if I wanted to do the whole Christian thing. Um, now, you remember about that character trait <clears throat> that I told you about in the beginning? Well, I didn't just read the Bible. I, I poured myself into it, and it poured itself into me. I labored over it. I studied it. I immersed myself in it. Um, funny thing is, is uh, God had to sober me up first so I can see clearly and start to... Um, discover who he really was. Now, I'm not saying that's the way it always is. Um, you can come to Jesus as you are, sins and all, and if you believe on his name and confess with your mouth, um, then you will be saved. I'm just saying God used a slightly different tactic with me. I guess I'm, I guess I'm stubborn. Um, I began to learn of God's character, his love, his faithfulness, his devotion to his people, whom he delivered from destruction time and time again, albeit letting them learn from the consequences of their actions. And most importantly to me, his use of small, simple people, terribly flawed, sinful people who struggled every step of the way, and yet God still used them to accomplish his will. And that was just the Old Testament. In the New Testament, Jesus taught me how to live, how to love, how to treat people, that I had a purpose, I had a divine calling, that I didn't have to live in the dark anymore, tortured by evil, sin, and guilt, but I could step into the light and feel the warmth in my face, that I could be free free from the chains of my addictions, guilt, and sin, and that those chains were broken 2,000 years ago by the blood of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. <clears throat> my house was being filled by the Holy Spirit, and the coolest part was I couldn't contain it. Um, <clears throat> whereas before, I was filled with evil, and it overwhelmed, overwhelmed me, and I spread death and darkness. Now I was filled with the Spirit and was overwhelmed and was producing fruit, life, and light. In my journey through the Bible, it transformed my mind and my soul. And by the time I finished the last page, I was the new creation. Born again. Uh, so that's my story so far. Um, not one single event or day I can pinpoint on a calendar, but rather a slow burn 
like a spark that starts a forest fire or a seed that grows into a tree. Um, I came to belief and faith in steps. Speaking of steps, this is where the message of hope comes in that I mentioned at the beginning. If there is anyone who is listening who is caught in the cycle of addiction, addiction of any kind, drugs, alcohol, sex, porn, food, or has loved ones who are, you don't have to face these obstacles alone. God never intended on you to face these battles by yourself. Now, how does God primarily work his will in the Bible? He uses people. And in this case, people that have walked through the valley of darkness and know that to make it to the other side, you need the Holy Spirit to guide you and people taking the journey with you. Um, you don't climb a mountain by yourself. Now, I work with a small group called Empowered Recovery, and we utilize the 12 steps of AA and pair them with the valued teachings of God's word. We are all in this together, and so everyone has a voice, and we learn as a group. We will not be judged, and everyone is welcome. We meet twice a week on Mondays and Thursdays um, with a Bible study uh, before the meeting on Monday. And the flyers are in the front, and they show you the, tape, the, uh, the times and the location. Um, now, let me leave you with this. God did not cause your suffering, but he can use it. He can use it to better lives, your life and the lives of others. So don't waste it. Um, Pastor Kerry said he's going to be talking about the Apostle Paul. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul talks about a thorn that's in his flesh. That despite him asking repeatedly, he won't take it out. Um, I have a thorn in my flesh. I feel the urge to drink every single day. Um, the consequences from my past that I have to deal with. But through the power of the Holy Spirit, the study of scripture, and the fellowship of like-minded people, I choose life every day and not death. And God loves you. And he wants so much from you. All you have to do is take that first step. Come to a meeting. Find help. And we will take the next 11 steps with you together as a family. Thanks. Change is hard. And it's a journey that you are going to be on all your life while you're on this planet. We are stuck in a body of flesh that wants what it wants when it wants it. Um, it's difficult. And yet on the other side, the tension is God wants to work within you a new life. None of us, I don't know anybody that is 100% successful from the time that they come to faith to never sin again. Or will never encounter difficulties or hardships within that. It's not a matter of if you fall. You will. It's a matter of getting up from that fall to be able to bounce back. We've been working through spiritual resilience and, and being able to come back from these difficulties. One of the challenges to spiritual resilience and the bounce back is within the suffering. How do you bounce back when, when pain and suffering will rob you of perseverance? How do you bounce back when you feel like you are so beaten down and so broken that there is no, there is no up? And within that, it, it's hard. Paul gives to us an example, and he's a great example of somebody who shows spiritual resilience in times of difficulties because he is a guy that got his lunch handed to him multiple times, beaten up and trashed, and always came back for more. To be able to honor God. And so you've got to ask the question, how does he do this? How does a guy like Paul 
come back? Well, it's based on two things. One, his spiritual calling, where as Mark said, God pulled the rug out from underneath Paul. Got his attention. And then two, God empowered Paul with an internal power and an internal strength to be able to come back, to return within that. Your ability to trust God in, in difficult times, your ability to, to have faith that God will save you, has been given to you and it's internal within you. And it's the power of God that's in you that's going to bring you back from those dark places. We're going to take a look at kind of an overview of a section about Paul's life, not out of Acts, but out of 2 Corinthians within this, to be able to understand this. Paul, as he's writing to the church at Corinth, is being challenged by these super apostles. And they were questioning his apostleship, his power, his authority within that. And Paul will speak about how the Holy Spirit was leading him into the mission field and into Asia, but then multiple times just being beaten and, and having difficulties. And the amazing thing is, Paul doesn't hide from tribulation. He doesn't hide from hardship, and he doesn't hide from things that are difficult, nor does he pretend like they don't exist. But what he realizes is that the hardship and the difficulties and all of these things that's in his brokenness that the power of God is revealed. And it's revealed as testimony to others that are going through this. It's Paul's testimony. And how the servant of God must be dependent upon God in those hardships to reveal the glory of God within that. I'm going to ask you to stand as we read through our passage this morning. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 7-18. to It says this, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels, so that the surpassing greatness of the power of the will be of God and not from our own selves. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifest in our body. For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifest in our mortal flesh. So death works in us, but life in you. But having the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed, therefore I spoke, we also believe, therefore we speak knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will present us with you. For all things are for your sake, so that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart. But though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day, for momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. And while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen, eternal. May God bless the reading of His Word. You can be seated. 
So in verses 7 through 12, Paul declares that spiritual resilience is, is already found, the ability to have that is already found within the believer. Do you realize that that you already have the power within you as a Christ follower to bounce back from every hardship and difficulty that you'll ever encounter. It's already there. And it's there for a purpose. He declares that, that for him, for Paul, it's the power of God that's in him that's given him the ability to continue when everybody else is like, he's going to quit. It's given to him to continue and to move forward and to continue on. And he starts out, and he, in verse 7, he says, We have this treasure in earthen vessels, so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. We have a treasure. So you've got to ask the, some questions. He uses these analogies. Treasures, earthen vessels. What is he talking about, earthen vessels? Basically, jars of clay. A, a clay jar in biblical times, was a common household implement. It was just a jar. Everybody had them. It'd be kind of like your Tupperware dishes. Everybody's got them. Except you don't have to worry about finding the lids. But they were made out of clay. So everybody would have these clay jars. They were very common. And, and you know, lots of times they were well used. And sometimes they would be chipped. And other times they might be cracked. And Paul says that we have this power in earthen vessels. Now, Paul is not saying that you're a bunch of crackpots, but there is value in that. And we'll look at that. But this idea that these earthen jars, they're fragile. Human life is fragile. It's fragile because we get sick. We physically can, can suffer. We can mentally have states of depression. We can enter into states of frustration and anger. This human condition is a fragile condition. It doesn't take much to throw us off within that. And Paul considered himself a, a earthen vessel, a fragile vessel within this. But he experienced the power of God in his calling. You can read about it in Acts chapter 9, where Paul had experienced a come-to-Jesus moment. Knocked off his high horse, saw the light. He was blinded by the light of Jesus who said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He says, who are you, Lord, that I persecute? I am Jesus. It's kind of hard for you to kick against the goads, isn't it? And he was blinded. Great Saul, persecuting and killing Christians. He was on this mission, all in, to do the work of God. And God said, that's not my work. In fact, I'm going to send you to be a witness to the Gentiles. You who is a Pharisee, who is all holier than thou, you're going to go to the Gentiles and you're going to share with them. But he was blind. And he had to be led by the hand to Ananias. Ananias was there, and God told Ananias, Ananias, Saul's going to come and see you. And he's like, oh, that ain't good. He kills people. He says, don't worry, I have a mission for him. And he will suffer many things for my name's sake. 
It was predetermined that Paul would suffer many things in the process of doing ministry. Now, not only did God plan the suffering, but he also gave him the power within this. And Paul's resilience, as he says to the church in Corinth, is not based on human strength, but it's based on the power of God that is in me. It's not of of myself. Whatever condition you find yourself in today, you think, well, I can overcome this. You're lying to yourself. It is impossible in this flesh to overcome anything. Only by the power of God. And you will, you will make great attempts, as Mark said, but you'll fail miserably. Why? Because this flesh wants what it wants when it wants it. And the only way to have victory is through the power of God and the Spirit of God dwelling in you. That's the treasure. The treasure is a little bit more than that. What was the treasure? The treasure that Paul speaks of is the knowledge of the resurrection of Jesus. If Jesus died and was buried, and he was, and he was risen again through the power of the resurrection, and he was, then all those that are in Christ will experience that power of the resurrection. We're going to talk about it in a minute with communion. It's the ability to understand that God made a promise that he would not allow his son to decay in a grave, but he would rise him again. And he did. And if God kept that promise for Jesus, will he keep that promise for you? Absolutely. That's the treasure. It's the hope, the guarantee of the resurrection within this. And it's interesting. Rabbinic tradition talks about this idea of jars and stuff. And one rabbi says this, Just as wine cannot keep well in silver and gold vessels, but only in clay jars, the earthen ones, so the words of the Torah... Do not keep well in those who consider himself the same as silver and gold vessels, but in only those who consider himself the same as the lowliest vessels. You want to see the power of God work? Do not consider yourself as a silver and gold vessel to be polished and put on a shelf. Consider yourself to be Tupperware. Daily used. Filled up, emptied out. Filled up, emptied out. And let the power of God work through you. Within that, we think about this idea of spiritual resilience. How do, we, how do we have spiritual resilience? It's when you tap into the power of God within that. Paul would write here in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. He says this, And he has said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for the power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I would rather boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. My grace is sufficient for you. That's in the context of Paul saying, God, take away this thorn. And God said, nope, not taking it away. My grace is sufficient for you because my strength is revealed through your weakness, through your handicap. Why? Because then you won't get all prideful and full of yourself. You're not doing it. I'm doing it. And so for many people, we pray for healing, and God says, no, I'm not going to do healing. I'm going to use your illness. I'm going to use your weakness. I'm going to use this thing. And I am going to bring you to this place where you are so convinced of the power of God that you will declare it. As Paul would say, therefore we believe, we speak. You've got to know it to be able to share it. 
for it to be genuine, for it to be authentic. You've got to know the power of God. And then you think about this, in all of Paul's suffering, all of Paul's suffering, did he ever deny God? No. Why? Because he was fully convinced of the power of God in his calling and in saving him. He was called. God, you called me. And if you called me, then you're going to keep me. And then if I die in the process, then I go to be with you. I'm good. And so with every difficulty, he's either going to bounce back or he's going to go up. And he was convinced of that. Now, we think about this, this paradox of suffering. Verses 8 and 9, he, he goes into the, in sharing these paradox statements within this. And shows the balance between the suffering and the, and the glory. In Philippians 4.13, it says, I can do all things through what? Christ who strengthens me. Him who strengthens I can do all things. Why? Because it's not me. It's Christ who strengthens me. So he is hard-pressed. Notice he is he's afflicted in every way, but not crushed. That, that word afflicted literally means hard-pressed. You think about this idea of being pushed in. 2 Corinthians 1.8, Paul would say, For as we do not want to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction, which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength, so that we despaired of life. Hard-pressed. Hard, hard-pressed. Being pushed down to where you're like, I'm going to die. That's the hard-pressing. But notice he says, even to the extent of being hard-pressed, I'm not crushed. I'm not obliterated. It's a beautiful thing when a believer says, God, I can't take anymore. God says, I got you. I know. God will not allow you to be hard-pressed to be on your limit. And you say, God, I don't want to find out my limits. I don't want to know. Hard press. It's the pressure. In, in fact, the word hard press literally translates to be pressured to the point of gasping for air. That's hard pressed. Pressure to the point that you're gasping for air. Paul was perplexed but not despaired. Literally, at a loss mentally of doubt and depression but not absolutely at loss. At a loss mentally. In other words, he says, at a point, there was times in my life when I was so mentally just done, but not completely lost. Paul would say, I was pursued and persecuted, but not forsaken. Do you know that Paul's enemies chased him all the way from Jerusalem throughout Asia in the Corinth? Pursued him. Chasing him from city to city, beating to beating, and all of these different things. And they wanted to kill him. He says, I was pursued. Can you imagine being hated that much? But he says, I was never abandoned. Is he talking about human abandonment or divine abandonment? Divine abandonment. God never abandoned him within this. God keeps to his word. In fact, Deuteronomy 4.31 says, For the Lord your God is a compassionate God. He will not fail you nor destroy you, nor forget the covenant with your fathers, which he swore to them. God never leaves you. 
In fact, Paul would write to Timothy at the end of his ministry life. 2 Timothy 4, 16-17. At my first defense, no one supported me, but all deserted me. There's human abandonment. But it not counted against them. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, so that, the, that through me the proclamation might be fully accomplished, and that all the Gentiles might hear, and I was rescued out of the lion's mouth. Powerful passage. He says that everybody left me. God never left me. In fact, He strengthened me and pulled me out of the lion's mouth within them. Paul was also struck down, but not destroyed. For kicks and giggles, read the different accounts where Paul itemizes how many times he was beaten and stoned and whipped and all of the different things. And regardless of how badly he was beaten and whooped on, God didn't let him die. Now I would imagine a few times he thought, I should die. In fact, at one point, text says, and most commentators would agree, that he did die, was taken up into third heaven, and then sent back to earth. Now if I was Paul, I'd be a little frustrated with God. <laughs> one more time? Really? Because his calling is what was keeping him. You're not done until God says you're done. Get back in the game. And so he does. Struck down but not destroyed within this. Paul was an earthen vessel and he says, as an earthen vessel, I was pretty cracked. Pretty broken. But what is it really about? It's about revealing the glory of God. Do you know if you took a, a, a clay jar and you, it, within that clay jar, you were to take a, a, a candle and put it inside that clay jar, would the light emanate out of that clay jar? Only through the top. But if that clay jar had a bunch of cracks in it, would it show the light? See, it's not so bad being a crackpot. Because then the power of God moves through you and people can see that within that. And it's the work of God. Paul would say this in Philippians 1.6, For I am confident this very thing. He who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. God's doing the work and it's the power of God flowing through you. And Paul would say in verses 10 and 12 that, that even the delivery over to death reveals this, this life in Christ. If you look at verse 10, it says, always carrying about in the body the daily dying of Jesus. What does he mean by that? The daily dying. It's really the daily dying of yourself. As I daily die to self, it reveals the life of Christ through me. As I say no to this flesh and, and, and die to self, I carry about this this daily dying, the word death there is necrosis. Do you guys know the word necrosis? It means rotting flesh. I carry about this rotting flesh. I love you all, but you're all a bunch of bodies that are rotting. But the power of God in the transform, transforming you in, into the image of Christ and that resurrection is huge. You are not who you used to be. You're not who you will be. 
but you're in the process of being transformed from being a dead person to a living being, a temporal person into an eternal life. And that's not completed until you get to heaven. Everyone would see Paul's suffering and say, how does this guy keep on going? Well, the more Paul would go in his suffering and his difficulty, the more the light of Christ would reveal the power of God through him. And so he would say in verse 16 of this chapter, Therefore we do not lose heart, but though this outer man is decaying, necrosis, dying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. We spend a lot of time trying to keep dying flesh looking good, don't we? How much time do we spend working on the inner man and letting that be the part that grows? So that spiritual resilience really is trusting in that sustaining power and looking to the salvation that comes through the resurrection of Jesus. Paul would go on in verses 13 to 15 really saying, I'm confident, I'm confident in the spiritual resurrection. If you are 100% confident that Because Jesus is alive today from death, you can overcome anything within that. And that's Paul's declaration. Verses 13 and 14, he says, Having the same spirit of faith according to what is written, I believe, therefore I spoke. Who wrote that? David. David wrote that in Psalm 116.10. When did he write it? He wrote it in a time in his life when he was sick unto death. He was sick and dying. And yet God healed him. By faith, he believed in Yahweh for the healing. And God honored him with that faith healing within that. And he says, therefore, I have testimony and I speak. Paul says, in the same way that David spoke when he was sick unto death and God healed. So I speak because I'm dying, yet God is going to heal. How? Through the resurrection of Jesus within that. He experienced God's saving power. And it was done by faith. The man of faith speaks from faith. You can only have a testimony if you've experienced the power of God, and that comes through faith. And by faith, you speak about faith. You can't speak about faith if you don't have faith. You can't speak about God if you don't know who God is. But if you do, therefore, because you believe, Speak. People need to hear your testimony. They need to hear how God is working in your life, how God has worked in your life. Why? Because it encourages them. It's the light that shines forth within that. Paul would write to Timothy again in 2 Timothy 2.11. It's a trustworthy statement. For if we died with Him, and we have, first class conditional clause, we will also live with Him. Do you believe that? Do you? If you've died with Christ, if you've considered this flesh dead, self-dead, then also believe that you will live with Him. Having that eternal confidence, that eternal hope, will carry you through every difficulty and every hardship. Why? Because you know the end. You know what's going to happen, and you trust in God to save. This, this, this faith in the resurrection provides resilience. 
Because if it doesn't matter what you're facing, the God who has the power to bring someone from death to life has the same power to carry you through all of the difficulties that you'll go through now until you're done. And in the end, he's got it. As a chaplain, I spend a lot of time with people that are dying and people that are grieving. Do a lot of funerals. I've got four of them that I'm doing this month alone. And I do funerals and, and celebrations of life for people that are both saved and not saved. And I can tell you there's a marked difference. The believer that is facing death or dying or the family of a believer that is facing grieving of their dying one will grieve differently than those who have lost a loved one who was not a believer. Because Jesus has conquered sin and death and paid that penalty, all that put their faith and trust in Him will live, guaranteed. And Jesus is the first fruits of that resurrection. We can look on the past and say, because God kept His promise in the past, He'll keep His promise in the future. Do you believe that? Paul would say this in Philippians 3, 10-11, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His suffering, being conformed to His death, note, Hinnaclaus, in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. What is Paul saying? He says basically this, I want to know more of the power of, of the resurrection and carry that treasure within me now because that's going to give you the power to bounce back from whatever's going on. So when you say, God, you got this, you're not saying, God, you got this little thing. You're saying, God, you got everything. Everything. Paul was fully convinced that he was being conformed and he was going through this not for his own sake, though. As his testimony. Whatever you are going through is not really about you. Whatever you're going through is really about a testimony that you can share with somebody else to give them power in preparation for when they go through it. It's a gift that you get to give. Paul says, this, what I'm going through... Not about me. I know what I'm, where I'm going. It's about you and sharing that testimony and sharing that grace. What is the grace? It's the grace of the resurrection, which is a reason to glorify God. Verse 15 says, For all these things, for your sake, the grace which is spreading, note, to more and more people may cause giving of thanks to abound in the glory of God. When you share your testimony, people can glorify God. When you give somebody hope, because they say, well, you know what? God did this in Carrie's life. Maybe God can do this in my life. Carrie believes and, and is, is being transformed, and I'm watching it. I want that kind of confidence. And then that person believes. They're transformed. They gain the confidence, and then they give glory to God. It is a powerful thing. To bounce back from difficulty and from hardship. And God's given you the ability to be spiritually resilient based on the, the guaranteed fact that Jesus 
rose from the dead. What more do you want? He's done everything. As a result of that, we hold spiritual resilience with greater value. Verses 16 to 18, he says this, Therefore we do not lose heart. Therefore what? Based on all of those points that Paul made in 7 through 15. Based on all of those points, we do not lose heart. Tell my grandson, quitters never win, winners never quit. You don't give up. You don't lose heart. Based on on white-knuckling it? No. Based on the resurrection. He says this, in this, Though our outer man is decaying, the inner man is being renewed day by day. Every day. Why? Because I'm seeing the inward transformation. The outside may be dying. But the inside, every day that every day that this outside dies, the inside becomes more alive. Do you get that? Huge. This outer man, this carnal man, and there's four contrasts. The outer carnal man versus the inward spiritual man. Where do you live? In the outward or the inward? This outer man is decaying. The inner man is being renewed day by day. Are you decaying or are you living? The suffering is for momentary. But glory is for eternal. Things in this world are temporal. But are you looking for the eternal? Focus leads to power and ability. What are you focusing on? I can tell you this. If you focus on dying then you're going to spend the rest of your days dying. But if you focus on heaven, then you spend the rest of your days living. And it really comes down to that. Paul would write this in 2 Corinthians 3.18. But we all, with unveiled faces, beholding as a mirror the glory of the Lord, note, are being transformed into the image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord and the Spirit. This outer man going away, but the inward man being changed. Verse 18, he ends up with this. So don't look at the things which are seen, but the things that are not seen. Your spiritual resilience is going to be based on keeping your eyes on Christ. It is going to be hard in this world. It's going to happen. You're going to go through hardships, turmoil, suffering, grief, pain, all of these things, and you're going to come to a place where you're going to feel so hard-pressed that you can't get a breath of air. What do I do? You look up. You look to the eternal. You look at the guaranteed promise of the resurrection, and you take the next step towards God. You accept the fact that the, the, this outward is going away, but I'm going to focus on the inward man. And if you focus on the inward and the outward, you're going to bounce back and have that resilience to keep on going forward and realize that your story is not your story. Your story is a story for somebody else. Let God write that story. That's given to us in Jesus. Jesus' story about leaving heaven and coming to earth and dying on the cross for our sins wasn't for Him. It was for us. 
And the night before he died, he had gathered his disciples after spending three years with them and said to them, I'm going to leave. But I'm going to leave you a reminder. Something that's going to keep you focused. Something that is tangible that will cause you to see the eternal. And so he instituted the Lord's Supper. We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper even now. Communion. It's a time when we focus on what Jesus has done and we say thank you. The night before he died, the disciples were gathered together in an upper room and he, he took the bread and he broke it. He says, this bread represents my body that's broken for you. As often as you eat this, remember me. And then he took the cup in the same way and he said, this cup is a reminder of the new covenant, my blood. As often as you eat this, remember me. Why? Because he needed them to look forward when things got bad. The early church, as often as they would gather together, every Lord's Day, which would be on a Sunday, they would celebrate communion. Could they celebrate communion other times? For sure. We do it once a month. Could you do it every day? Sure, you could. As long as your focus is right. This table is open to anybody who has accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior because it has meaning. It's not magical. It's a cracker and grape juice. It's not, this stuff doesn't save you. Jesus did. This is the way that Jesus says, remember me. Remember that I paid for your sins. If you have not asked for Jesus to forgive you of your sins, or if you have sin in your life that you're not willing to, to, to give up, don't take communion. It's not a snack. It's not a ritual. It's part of a relationship. It's a reminder. This is your act of worship. We do it individually and corporately at the same time. And that's how we celebrate and honor Jesus. Let me pray over this, and then the ushers will distribute the elements. Hang on to them until everybody's been served. God, I thank you that you've given to us this, this promise, this hope, this future. You've given to us everything that pertains to godliness. And Lord Jesus, you gave us life. I would pray that you would work in our hearts even now, Holy Spirit. And if anyone has to do business with you and ask for that forgiveness of sins, they do it now. And during this time of, of singing and, and, and meditating, may these elements have deep meaning within our life. Draw us back to an eternal focus. Help us to bounce back from that difficult place into a place of victory. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.
So I'll stand before the Lord. Let's hold the bread up and ask God to bless it. God, we thank you for this bread and all that it means. That this body will go away. That we will be given a new body. That in your presence we will be glorified. You will see us perfect. And we have been promised eternal life. Lord Jesus, that day you hung on that cross. You took our pain, our suffering, our sin, our sorrow, our shame, everything. And you put it to death. You took upon your flesh what was due to us. You died to give us life. And as often as we eat this bread, may we remember that gracious gift that you've given to us. And say thank you. In Jesus' name. Let's all take the bread together. Hold the cup up before the Lord. We lift this glass up, Lord Jesus, to you. In honor of you. To say thank you. Over 2,000 years ago, you lifted a glass. You blessed it. And you commanded your followers to drink all of it. That the cup represents the new covenant ratified by your blood that was shed on Calvary. A new covenant. That you would be our God. We would be your people. That our sins would be washed away. Sacrifice was no longer needed because you paid that price at Calvary. And we stand before a holy God in His throne room of grace, washed, clean, pure, even right now. This cup reminds us of the status that we have in God's kingdom. We are children of the Most High. Because of what you've done, Jesus. Not because of what we've done, but because of what you've done. So we lift this glass to you and we say thank you. May you bless it to us. May we be a blessing to you. In Jesus' name. Let's all take the cup. Thank you, Lord. As is our practice, once a month we take up a very special offering. It's a love gift offering. Do not feel compelled to give. This offering is a benevolent offering that goes to meet the needs of people within our community and within our church. The ushers will gather that up as we close with this last song. Let me pray over that offering even now. Father, I thank you for this offering. I thank you for the gift of of grace that you've given to us. May we be gracious to others in the same way that you've been gracious to us. Lord, I pray over these resources and may they be used for your kingdom's sake to, to meet needs of people. Whether it's uh, medicines or, or to help pay bills or whatever the case may be, car repairs, just all the different things where people come up short. May we be your hands and your feet and honor you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Lord bless you. And keep you, make his face shine upon you.
for that blessing. And as we go out in that blessing, may we bless others the same way that you blessed us. May we share that hope and that peace. May we let your light shine through through us. And, and Lord, in our lives, we have cracks and we have chips. But Lord, we also know that when we bounce back and when we stand forward, it's the light of your glory that shines through. We thank you for our time and and lead us this week in everything that we do. And may the things that we say and do put a smile on your face. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen and praise Jesus. Thanks for joining us in the study of God's Word with Pastor Kerry Wacker. We'd love to have you join us in person for worship each Sunday morning at 9 a.m. or 1045 a.m. We also meet Wednesday nights at 630 p.m. Warren Community Fellowship is located at 56523 Columbia River Highway in Warren, Oregon, between Scappoose and St. Helens. For more information about Warren Community Fellowship or about WCF Ministries, call us at 503-397-4387. And don't forget to like us on Facebook.